last week. Anyway, we're, we're studying the book of Jonah in our Lenten study. And uh, so uh, let's review with what we studied last week in case you weren't here. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the scripture said that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and God said to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And when the scripture said it was a wicked city, Nineveh was much more wicked than any of us could ever imagine. It was the capital city of the Assyrian people and they were the cruelest and the ruthless, most ruthless people. And God said to the prophet Jonah, go east, go to Nineveh. God said, go. And what did Jonah say? No. God said no, and Jonah said no. God said go, and Jonah said no. And he got in a boat that was sailing west for Tarshish, which was four thousand, which was a four thousand kilometer journey, literally, to the end of the known world. And basically, God said this assignment is too important, and I'm not going to let you run from me. And God sent a big storm on uh, on the boat that Jonah was on. Uh, it was so big that the storm was so big that the, the boat started to break apart and the captain went down and said, Jonah, maybe if you pray because you're a prophet, if you call on the name of your God, maybe he will save us. But Jonah was a prophet on the run and he was also a prayerless prophet. And he had stopped praying, much like a lot of people who call themselves believers. They claim to be Believers of God or believe in God and yet have virtually no prayer life whatsoever. There was a, there's a story that comes from a small country town. And in that small country town was a small country church. Where the vicar was very upset because a public bar and a TAV opened in the main street of the town. The vicar said, we're not going to have a pub and a TAV in this town. He said, we're going to pray them out of business. And so the church had all-night prayer vigils and they fasted and they sang songs of praise and worship, sometimes for 20 or 4-hour periods. They prayed, God, run them this business out of town. Get rid of this pub and this bedding shop. And sure enough, after quite some time of praying, the building was struck with lightning and the pub and the TAV burned to the ground. Well, the owner sued the church and took the vicar to court. The judge was listening to testimonies and the pub owner said, it's this vicar's fault and it's this church's fault. Those people were praying against my business and because of their prayers, God struck my business with lightning. The vicar jumped to his feet and said, oh no, your honour. Those were just harmless little prayers in our quaint little church. This is not our fault. God did this. The judge looked on and said, this is very interesting. Here we have the owner of a pub and a TAB who believes in the power of prayer and a vicar who doesn't. <laughs> so Jonah, the prophet of God, who's not in the mood to pray, the storm's raging on, the sailors come in and say, what have you done to us? And Jonah admits that it's his fault that he's running from God. And he says, throw me overboard and everything will be okay. And the sailors say, we're, we're not going to do that. 
and they try everything else possible. In the end, they realise that they have no other choice. And they throw him over. In the very last verse of Jonah, chapter 1, it says this, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's where we pick up our story, Jonah chapter 2. It's in a prayer of Jonah. It's a beautiful Hebrew prayer. Some Bible commentators call it the Psalm of Jonah. And as we read this, we need to realize that it's just not a snapshot of what Jonah was praying because for three days and three nights, three nights, Jonah was in the belly of this great fish and I reckon he was praying a lot of other prayers like, Help! Get me out of here! Over and over again. And so this is not the exact prayer. He wasn't in the belly of the fish, you know, with a torch and a pen and a piece of paper writing all this stuff down. But what we have here is a runaway prophet who neglected God, then prayed and was delivered. He's looking back and records in hindsight all the lessons that he learned. And he wrote a very poetic and a very beautiful portion of what he prayed after he learned what God was capable of inside the belly of a great fish. So let's dig into Jonah chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Now let's pause for a moment and think about this. I called on the Lord and he answered me. I don't think we can even start to grasp what that really does mean to us. That we have the ability to call on the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer of all things, the one who spoke and hung the stars in the skies, who created the heavens and the earth and all of the galaxies, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the supreme judge, the holy one, the one who is all-knowing and ever-present and all-powerful, that God, we can call on him and he will answer us. And here is Jonah calling on God after running from God. And God is still in his mercy answering Jonah. Now don't let the power of that pass you by this morning. That we can call on God and he answers us. I'm always amazed when things are bad. And in the midst of that people will say, well we've tried everything and things are still so bad. All we could do is pray. Can you imagine how insulting that might be to the heart of God, that all we can do is pray? Do you think two years ago, when Tim received a death sentence called leukaemia, that Giselle and I just said, well, all we could do is pray? No. My Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. We have the right to step in to the presence of God and find help in our time of need. We can call on God and He will answer us. Sometimes people won't even use the word prayer or pray. Have you noticed that? They say, you're going through hard times. Oh, I'm very sorry. I'll be thinking about you. 
Have you heard that one? I'll be thinking about you. Like, like, like they have some sort of, they have the ability to use Vulcan mind control or something like that. No, it's called prayer, my friends. It's called prayer. Call on God and he will answer you. Jonah says, in my distress, that word, in my distress or distress, is literally the Hebrew word for tightness. Tightness. The Hebrew word for distress paints a very beautiful picture. Jonah's Hebrew prose is intent to create a theatre of the mind for us. He writes a very beautiful picture of what's going on. This word distress is a word that's used when a woman is giving birth. It means the travail of childbirth or the distress of labour. It denotes tension and pressure and tightness. So he's inside the belly of the fish and he's using a pregnancy metaphor. In my distress, in my agony, it's as if I'm being born and I called on God and he answered me. Let's look at the next part of the verse. From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Now that word, the realm of the dead, is the word Sheol that you heard Natalie read out to us. Other translations, from the depths of the grave or from the belly of Sheol. The word Sheol means grave or the realm of the dead. In the King James, it's translated Sheol or hell. From the depths of hell, I called on God and he answered me. In other words, Jonah is saying, from the point in which I was furthest from God, from the place where I was miserable and I had no way to contribute, from the place where I was helpless, desperate, afraid and hurting, I called on God. I pray this speaks to some of you here right now. Because perhaps you're in the middle of what you would call Sheol. From the depths of Sheol in my heart, everything on the outside seems fine. But inwardly I'm depressed, inwardly I'm hurting, inwardly I'm afraid and I've got this anxiety and something is just not right and everything seems right on the outside but inside it is not right. From the depths of an inward Sheol I called on God and he answered me. When I had no place to turn I called on God and he answered me from the depths of the darkest place of Sheol, when I needed him most and I deserved the least, God was there for me. So this is rich stuff this morning. Now, if if you look at verses 1 and 2 together, as it would have been in the Hebrew language, something amazing becomes apparent. We have the distress and the pressure of childbirth and the very literal graphic word Sheol or hell. Now looking at these two verses in the ancient looking at these two verses as the ancient Hebrews would have done, it says something profound. It says something like this I was as good as dead, but God in his mercy caused me to be born again. This is the amazing word picture that Jonah paints for us. He's saying, It was as if I was dead. I was completely in my I, I was completely in my own power helpless. 
I couldn't contribute to anything to my situation, but I was not hopeless because God, even though I did not deserve His mercy and His love was still on the throne, He was still hearing me through the travail and the pain of my agony. He caused me to rise from the dead so I could be born again. Now, let's pause for a minute and think about this. At any point in this story, God could have delivered him. He could have waved his hand and calmed the storm. When the sailors threw him overboard, there could have been miraculously an old tree log right there and Jonah could have floated to safety, to the shore of safety. Instead of a giant fish, God could have sent a giant sea turtle and Jonah could have cruised on the shore, uh, back to shore on the back of the sea turtle. But God didn't do any of those things. But God still did a miracle. I want you to notice God was actively working even though Jonah was still in pain. Watch the different phrases, uh, the different phases of God's work. God says, Jonah, go. And Jonah says, no. And Jonah gets on a ship. Phase one. God sends a storm. It doesn't work. Phase two. God sends the captain. We need, you need to pray, he says. Phase three, the sailors have mercy on him and don't throw him overboard. Phase four, when they do throw him overboard, God sends a fish. And phase five, the fish gets a tummy ache and throws him up onto the shore. All through this miracle, you can see the different places where God was working. A lot of the times, we say, God, I want you to do this. And whatever this is, just fill in that blank. Whatever this is, just fill in that blank. God, I want you to do this. And God doesn't do this. And you and me, we get freaked out. And so here's the big idea. Don't neglect and don't overlook all the little things that God may be doing on the way to this. Whatever that is for you. Because God may have you in a, a ten-phase healing process. Because if you don't go through the first nine, you're not going to get to the thing that God wants you to learn. You may be on phase four and say, God, where's phase ten? <clears throat> My point is don't forget to look back and realise that there's phase one, phase two, phase three. Go, ah, look what God, look what you've done. Look at where you where you brought me. Look at what you've done. And look at what is there. And so this is what we need to remember, that we need to don't overlook the little things in our life. God uses phases, God uses seasons to lead us, to teach us, to redirect us, to guide us, to heal us, to correct us, to convict us, until... He leads us to his ultimate will. So don't forget to embrace the phase and celebrate the works of God as he leads you and I to his ultimate future. Now Jonah's in the fish. God's now got his full attention. That summarises the events of verses 3 to 6. Oh God, you hurled me into the depths. Now technically... It was the sailors who did the hurling. 
But Jonah very wisely recognised the hand of God behind everything. That's what I'm saying before about phases and, and not overlooking the little things. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swelled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward I, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. In other words, there's no physical hope here. The game is over. And then Jonah says, But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit, up from hell. And when... We read Jonah chapter one. When we read Jonah chapter one last week, did you notice the phrase that occurred over and over again? The phrase was down. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the belly of the ship. What should we do with you to make the sea calm down? The metaphor of chapter one is going down or descending. But then all of a sudden in verse in chapter two, sorry, because of the interaction of God, things start to shift and we start to see we start to see him starting to go back up. Here we see, but you, O God, brought me up from the pit. And so never forget the but God moments in your life. The but God the but God moments. My life was out of control. But God Intervene. The doctor said there was no chance. You might as well just go and prepare for the end. But God had the final say. Don't forget, my friends, the but God moments because all things are possible with God. And when Jonah was at a point where every physical thing said, you will never survive this, Jonah. You will never survive. But the God of the universe, I called on him. And he cried, he heard my cry, and he delivered me up from the pit. Verse 7 says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Some of us here this morning, we need to remember God. But you might say, I've never forgotten him. But I beg to differ, I think you have. You know, a lot of times when things are going well and what do we do with God? We treat him like our cars spare tire, don't we? When things are going well, God just rides in the car boot of life. We know God's in the boot, but we do our thing. And then one day we recognize I've basically doing life without the power of God. Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, he said, I remembered God. Then in the next verse, Jonah shifts his tone. Now we need to remember, Jonah is a prophet. He declared prophetic truth, and that's what he's doing right now. And you can hear the seriousness in his tone. It's coming from the deepest part of his life. And he's warning the reader of his time. And he's warning us today as well. And he's basically saying, 
Whatever you do, don't do what I did. Whatever you do, don't run from God. Whatever you do, don't neglect Him and don't disobey Him. Verse 8 says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Another translation in the Amplified Translation, it says, Those who pay regard to false, useless and worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy and loving kindness. God's love in a, is it, God, God's love is the Hebrew word hased. It means loving kindness, or it literally means the pursuing love of God, the love that chases you down, the pursuing love of God. And those who cling to the stupid things of this world, the things that don't matter, they are unable to receive hased, the pursuing love of God, the only source of God's mercy and loving kindness. Those who cling to worthless idols. So what were Jonah's idols? Firstly, we know he had the idol of prejudice, didn't he? The idol of prejudice. I don't like that group of people, so I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. And second, he had the idol of self. Selfish pride and self-interest. In other words, I heard God... But I don't care what he said. I'm going to do what I want. And can I speak plainly and say, as believers, we really do need to surrender the idol of self. If there's one thing that all Christian believers in this culture need to do is to let go of that idol of self. Yeah, I know what God's word says, but you know, I don't care. I don't know what that idol of self is for you. It could be materialism, things, money, or things that money, things that make you happy. It could be a substance. It could be recreation or self-gratification. It could be what you see or view on a screen. It doesn't matter what the idol of self is. The end result is the same. Those who cling to these idols cannot receive because they fulfil the grace and the pursuing love of God. Now you might be thinking, well, that's a bad trade, that's a bad deal. I don't like that. Well, bingo! How about that? Because you're holding on to things that are idols and you're missing out on the loving kindness of God. Yes, it is a bad deal. In the very next verse, Jonah makes no excuses. Verse 9, he says, But I... With shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. What did he vow? Well, we really don't know. Probably what he vowed was, God, if you ever tell me to speak, I will speak. If you ever tell me to go, I will go. What I have vowed, I will make good. For some of us here, there's something that we need to make good on. I don't know what it is, but you know what God has put into your heart and you know what you need to make good on. Only, I thought it was a snake or something. <laughs> Only you and God know what that is, but you haven't done it yet. You haven't made good yet. Perhaps it's radical generosity. Perhaps it's unconditional forgiveness. What I have vowed, 
I will make good. And as we read this closing verse, remember this, Jonah was in a great fish and there was nothing he could do to contribute to his salvation. He couldn't give money to a temple. He couldn't, give, he couldn't go and do good works. He couldn't help feed the poor. He couldn't do any kind of physical good work to contribute to him getting out of the fish. He couldn't do anything. And when, he, when we read this verse in that context, at the end of verse 9, Jonah says something that I hope you will hear in a way that you have never heard before. Basically, Jonah says, I can't contribute anything. Therefore, salvation comes from the Lord. That's not from our works, from your works, from my works. It's not from doing good things. It's not from doing bad things. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation, my friends, comes from the Lord. And when you recognise that, when you recognise that it costs God His Son, Jesus, who shed His blood so you could be saved, that's why it's called good news. You can't bring anything to it. And when you recognise that, you only... Your only reasonable response is to say, here's my life, Jesus. Now take it. Salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now that imagery, imagery this morning is kind of disgusting, isn't it? Anyone with a dog who eats grass in the backyard knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> or cat. <laughs> It's very disgusting, it's very powerful, and it drives home a thought that I hope that will echo in your heart, and that is this. Whether you're on top of the world, or whether you're in the depths of hell, when you call on the Lord, He will answer you. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you because you give us the right to come to you. And we humbly and yet boldly approach your throne. And we ask you to intercede on behalf of the needs represented in this church family. God, thank you that we can come before you and come before your throne of grace. May we be a people of prayer in humble repentance from our idolatry as we seek you. God, we give you all credit, the glory and the honour in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.